0: Welcome to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. In this episode, Coach Cap interviews Dwight Thorne II. He's an assistant coach at UT Arlington.
1: Coach, how's it going?
0: I'm doing good, Dave. How about yourself, man?
1: Doing well. Coach, you want to give yourself a brief introduction to our listeners?
0: Of course. um, My name is Dwight Thorne II. I'm an assistant men's basketball coach at the University of Texas at Arlington. I have been here going on five months. My previous stop was the University of Denver. And then before that, I was at Georgia Tech University. Or the Institute of Georgia Tech, sorry. The Institute of Technology. Oh, I'm not sure what it's called. I think it's actually called the Georgia Institute of Technology. That is what Georgia Tech is called. That's the official name.
1: Man, that would be a lot longer of a name on the bottom ticker of ESPN.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So Georgia Tech for short.
1: Okay. Talk about growing up in Texas, man.
0: Man, um, I, I think that Texas is the best place in the world. And for people listening to this, do not at me. I have <laughs> all the facts ready to be sped out. So Texas is, is close to my heart. It's a place that I was born born to. And while we have our flaws and why things are, are different here, it's a lot of aspects. I do appreciate the the opportunity that Texas affords people, the ability to have, to live a comfortable life and not spend a lot of money. Um, And just the amount of people that are here, the diversity. That's one thing that I really appreciate about Texas and and Dallas in particular, where I'm from. I grew up around a lot of different people, had a lot of different experiences through athletics, through academics, through friends, through, relationships and i was able to live a comfortable life here so texas and arlington in particular and dallas forward there is always a place that that i call home and always will have a dear place in my heart so being back here at uta now has been great um, god put me in a, a great position and i'm just very fortunate for it. awesome
1: you know you were the first player in your high school's history to play on the varsity team all four years you know talk about those four years and uh you know, your coach, some of your teammates.
0: Man, you know, I, I forgot that fact, but that, that is true. At the time, that was I was the first one, but guys have, have broke that mold since I left. I graduated in 2006, so started high school in 2002. I was actually 13 when I started high school. So I'm, I'm a young guy. And then by the time I was on varsity, though, I was actually 14. So I was 14 years old, man, playing on varsity. And... I want to say, you have to fact check this. I'm not sure you can, but I want to say I made like my first 12 or 13 shots on the varsity team. And it was a really fun ride. Played with a bunch of older guys, but was able to get some experience and kind of understand what varsity basketball was like as a a young boy. So uh, from there, my JV coach at the beginning, so I started my high school career on JV, and then I moved up to varsity midway through the year. After my freshman year, the head coach of varsity team, uh, Richie Alfred, went to Mansfield High School and then my JV coach got the varsity job. So we had a pretty good relationship from the beginning. He always was trying to teach me, push me, help me be the best player I could be because he saw my potential and how good I could be. And um, to this day, Coach Plymouth is, is somebody I talk to, somebody I care for, somebody that keeps up with me. And I'm actually probably gonna go see him next week over at Martin when I go check out a couple of players. He actually coaches golf now, which is crazy. But as you know, basketball is about relationships. It's about who you're with. And some of my friends on that basketball team are still my closest friends to this day. Guys that I talk to, have relationships with, are back here. I've been able to reconnect with them as I move back. But I um, had a great time in high school, man. Went to high school with 4,000 kids. So it was always something different every single day. Did you play
1: AAU basketball? Yeah. and? Was your college recruitment sort of a mix of AAU and high school or one rather than the other?
0: Definitely play AAU basketball, but the landscape was was different than what it was now. You know, now they have the different shoe circuits, Under Armour, Adidas, Nike. Then you have your other independent circuits, The Circuit, um, NY2LA, Prep Hoops. Like everybody's playing on these circuits where they're playing against each other. It wasn't like that when I was coming through. Um, you had your teams that were pretty good and everybody else kind of just didn't play. And this is 2000, 2002, 2005 or 2001, 2005, whatever the years may be. But our team had like nine Division One players on it. You know, rival teams that we played against had 12, 13 Division One players on it because everybody played on these four or five, six teams. So that was a really good experience. For instance, you know, I went to Colorado We had a teammate that went to Texas. I had one teammate that went to Tulsa. One teammate went to UTEP. One teammate went to Nickel State, Arizona State, um, Moorhead State. So we had a really good team, and we were able to have high-level competition and practice every single day and in games. We only lost like maybe five or six games that summer, my last summer, so a really good team. Unfortunately, my my AAU coach recently passed away, Irvin Biggie Davis, so... Just want to make sure I pay homage to him of, of being a person who started the Dallas Showtime organization, which I finished in and, and made a great impact in my life. Somebody that I talked to to this day and, and actually um, helped me in any way any way he he absolutely could whenever I called on him and needed him. So Irvin was a great person, and uh, I'm praying and hoping and I'm gonna do what I can to help his his organization live on, even though he is no longer here.
1: And I'm sorry to hear that. I, I had seen on social media and I hadn't known him, but you know, obviously had a big impact in the basketball community. Uh, you know, just devastating, man. How was that when you got to tell him you were coming back to Texas? I mean
0: Oh man, he's uh he was he was a lady for me, you know, with me being from there, a lot of my relationships and connections to grassroots being from here when Urban was able to to help me and and try to talk to coaches about me and who I was. Um, when I got to tell him I was coming back here to UTA, he was, he was elated for me. I, call, I actually took him out to lunch, man. like the first, second week I was here. And we had plans to go to dinner here. Unfortunately, I cut short, but um, just, I actually started my career coaching for in this Showtime organization. I coached two years. I coached the 16-under um, team one year, and then I coached the second, 17-under team the second year. And then from there, I decided I wanted to get into into college culture. And we'll get to that story, that, that story of it later on. But just being able to tell him, being able to be back home around family, friends, and deep relationships has been it's been great so far. And Irvin was definitely somebody who helped play a part in that.
1: And he committed to play at Colorado under Ricardo Patton. Yep. Uh, Obviously, had heard great things about him uh, from Zach Rubisim. You know, talk about that freshman season and what it was like to play alongside Xavier Silas.
0: Sheesh, man. That freshman year was crazy because it was it was nine of us. So it was kind of a blind lead to blind. And like I said, Colorado had went, to the, had went to the NIT the previous year, but they came in fourth to be 12. But they had nine seniors. So when we came in, it was a situation where we were trying to figure it out. And – um unfortunately or unfortunately coach Patton decided to resign before the school year started. So before the basketball season started, he decided to resign. So that first year, everybody was just trying to kind of find their way. But one thing I did learn was that big 12 basketball was for men only. It was not for boys. It was not for the weak or faint of heart, man. That was, that was a grind every single night. And then, Speaking of Xavier Silas, he became one of my friends on the team, along with everybody else, but there was a particular group of us that was pretty close. And uh, with Xavier being from Texas, being from Austin, we were able to kind of get a bond rather quickly. And a really good player, a great scorer as he led the country in scoring, I think his senior year at North Illinois, he transferred on. But being there at Colorado that freshman year, like I said, it, it gave me a baptism by fire. It gave us all a baptism by fire because – we had to figure it out as as young boys playing the men's league. You know, Sonny,
1: Sundance, Sonny Wicks was on the coaching staff. I've had yep. multiple guests rave about him. What do you remember about him as an assistant that season?
0: Man, Sundance is what you would call two, – two, three things I remember about him. One, I remember um, him always being energetic energized. And he still is to this day. I see him on the road. At, he's at Wyoming now. And my man is is geeked at all times. Um, two, I remember him being very, very young. He was young. He was one of those guys where he wasn't too far removed from playing. So he was really able to relate to us. You know, we just spend weekends together with him and, our, and Will Smith, our Dobo. Whether it be on the creek, it be barbecuing. Like, he was able to be there for us and, and give us guidance. And the third thing I remember of him was he was just very kind and big-hearted. He really cared about us. And in a situation where you got nine freshmen, you're going to go through a lot of transition at the end of the year because Coach Patton resigned, like I talked about earlier. Sundance was kind of that guy that really tried to keep us together and give us uh, a lot of guidance. And I always remember that about him.
1: Good stuff. Jeff Bezilk, uh takes over, and, you know, what did you know about him beforehand? Did he know about you? You know, was there any uh, – was he recruiting you out of high school? Talk about kind of the transition.
0: No, I did not know Coach Budelik at all, man, and it's it's crazy because I had a terrible freshman year. Um, I – they used to call – Coach P used to call me practice all-American because in practice I was really good. But in the games, man, when that popcorn started popping, them lights got bright, it was something about it that it just kind of put me in my shell. Um As I I can smile about it now, but it was really frustrating in the time, as you can imagine. So I started off starting. I started maybe our first two or three games um, because I I was playing really well in practice. I earned that opportunity, but in the game, I could not put it together. So fast forward to my sophomore year, you look at my stats, and my stats were terrible. Um, I think I made a shot like 16% from three, maybe 30% from the field, and just an overall, just bad season as a freshman. But you looked at my body, you looked at my size, looked at my skills. You could see while I was at Colorado, I was a, I was a big 12 player from the neck down, <laughs> right? So when Coach Mozilla got there, he saw me playing pickup, saw me in the workouts. He was actually quite surprised with who I was because all he had seen was stats that were pretty bad. So, but I was able to stay, um, And you, as you know, when there's transition in college basketball, a lot of times people you start with aren't necessarily there. So at that year, he kept four freshmen. So out of the nine freshmen that we had, only four were the second year. Me, Xavier Silas, Jeremy Williams, uh, and Sean Kowal. Sorry, not Sean Kowal. Me, Xavier Silas, Jeremy Williams, and um, Trent Beckley. Those are the four freshmen, Trent being a walk-on. So because of the skill and the size that I had at that time, I was able to kind of give myself a rebirth. And my sophomore year was better. Um, Jeff was, like you said, we were going through transition, so he we weren't very good that second year, same as our first. But you could tell he had an idea of what he was trying to accomplish, and that was part of those plans.
1: You know, ultimately, I want to say it was the year after you graduated, the team really broke through. Yeah, was that kind of bittersweet? Like, damn, I wish I was a part of that, or was it like kind of satisfying? Man,
0: I helped lay the foundation for that. No, it, it was definitely it was bittersweet because they got they got uh I feel like they got screwed not making it to the tournament the left It was bittersweet in that regard, but I, I was happy for those guys, man. I, I felt like you know those were all my young boys, people that I helped get better, helped kind of teach how to be a um, a college athlete too. And we all have a great relationship to this day. Me, A.B., Corey. Corey was at my house for uh, – Corey was at my home here in Texas two weekends ago having a barbecue. Um, A.D. was at his wedding. Uh, Nate Nate and I were talking about players yesterday. Marcus Relford was invited to his wedding. Unfortunately, I couldn't make it. So, Shannon Sharp, see him probably twice a year. So, you look at all those guys on that team, because I was there, I was able to maintain a relationship with those, with those guys and, and really appreciate their friendship and their relationship. And to think that I – and to understand that I helped lay that foundation with them, it, get, it gives me pride, right? Like I, I always – will be a Buffalo, I always have pride for that school and always want to see those guys do well.
1: No doubt. Talk about your experience with athletes in action, kind of who was on the coaching staff, uh, and some of those fond memories.
0: Athletes in Action was great because it, it gave me I knew I wanted to play professional basketball when I got done. And as my career was progressing, I could kind of see maybe the NBA wasn't going to be <laughs> an option. Although I was striving for that. I think there's a lot of high-level college basketball players strive to, to do. So Athletes in Action was great because, one, it allowed for me to go to Europe and kind of see what the experience was like. Two, it allowed for me to kind of see other players from universities and build relations with them. And three, allowed for me to, to connect with like-minded people who were strong in their faith. So for me, it was a no-brainer the two times that I went and I had thoroughly enjoyed my experiences. Um, the first time the coaching staff was Tim Maloney, who was at Baylor for a long time. And I he's a high school coach. Coached at Baylor, coached at UMass. not coaches high school basketball. And the second time I did it was Kevin McKenna, the associate head coach of Oregon. And I saw Coach McKenna on the road this past summer, and he uh, it was kind of good to see him again. He didn't recognize me at first, but we were able to kind of reconnect and start a conversation and had some fond memories of both of those trips.
1: You played pro basketball in Germany. You played in what was the you know D League at the time. Uh, played in Athens and Croatia. What were the major differences from league to league, whether it was style of play, travel accommodations, talent, uh, and talk about all
0: that. Man, European basketball is is different when you – it's different. Like That's probably the best way to describe it. I think when people think about it from, from being over here and see a lot of players, they think that, you know, they travel first class, they do all these things first class, and it, it's really not like that. My experiences were all good. They were different in their own regards, but I definitely, as a – high-level college basketball at the University of Colorado, all the things that we had were better than any team I played for in Europe. <laughs> we had first-class facilities. We traveled on a private plane. We had all of our meals. Like, we were all taken care of to the highest degree we possibly could. And in Europe, depending on what team you play for, you get some of those things, but some of the things you don't get. For instance, the best team I played for, it was in in Croatia. And I was playing uh, in the Asiatic League, which is a high-level intercontinental league in Europe. And I had to wash my own laundry, right? Like in college, everybody gets their laundry washed. But I had to wash my own laundry. Um, in Carlsville, Germany, we had, didn't have our own facility, so we practiced at a local gym, a local Rixon, right? When I was in Athens, um, one of the teams folded midway right through the year. So, every place has their own challenges, um but at the end of the day, you're playing the game you love you're getting you're getting paid to do so and getting to travel the world and It was a great experience. every single stop had its like I said, it's good things and it's bad things. But the one thing I will say is that basketball is different from our standpoint of the physicality <laughs> right. Over in Europe, I like to say that uh, as long as you got your hands up, you can foul. You can do anything you want to do as long as you put your hands up. Referees just—it's like they just look at the hands.
1: Man, I would have like had a longer can't. career if that was the case.
0: <laughs> you can't foul with you can't foul with your body. So as long as I put my hands up in Europe and I I hip check you, it's not a foul. Um, two, they really try to exploit what you what you do, uh, what you don't do. Great. They really try to make you use your weaknesses. You know, here in, here in America, we have scam report, but we still try to stay within our schemes defensively or offensively. I think in Europe, you know, especially defensively, if a guy can't go left, no matter what our scheme is, we're going to make him go left. If a guy can't shoot, no matter what our scheme is, we are going to make him shoot. So that was a, a good thing. And I think third, just the amount of sheer work you put in. right? There's one thing that's for sure. I got better as a basketball player because of the time that we were mandated to put in and you're practicing twice a day, morning, afternoon, um, most of the time being skills in the morning and then just playing in the afternoon. And it's my job, so I was very fortunate to be able to do that. But you're going to put the time in.
1: (laughs) After retiring as a player, you stepped away from the game. Was that intentional, or were you actively trying to get into coaching? I know you talked about coaching with AAU.
0: Were you able to, you know, was that your basketball fix at the time? So for me, I wanted to play until wheels fell off. Um, yeah. That was my goal when I got done with school. And I think a different plan for me. I wasn't able to do that. I hurt myself. I cut my career short a little bit. So when I was done playing, I kind of wanted to get away from the game. But as you know, when you're playing basketball, the ball kind of controls what you do, where you go, and how you do it. It controls your time. It controls everything. So in my mind, I wanted to get away from that and wanted to be able to control my own life, control what I did, and uh, be with my wife now, who was my girlfriend at the time, just kind of see what life was like without having that little orange ball control it. But I kind of got roped in doing the grassroots AAU stuff. And I did it one year as an assistant, coaching 16U and, and had fun with it. But it was time-consuming right? Especially the spring and summer season. It's every weekend almost. It's time-consuming. And then I did 17 on the second year as a head coach, and that was extremely time-consuming. I had to fundraise, had to practice, had to travel, and had to spend some of my own money to facilitate being able to coach these guys and give them the opportunity to, to earn scholarships. So I said to myself, you know, if I'm going to do this and spend some of my own money, why not try to make money doing it? Why not try to make it a career and pour into these kids a different way at the collegiate level. Um, So I I was able to get a a spot as a graduate assistant at at Georgia Tech. And from there, my career has been ascending so far, just by the grace of God, and just trying to be better every single day.
1: Did you know anyone on staff at Georgia Tech prior to that? Was that kind of an AAU relationship that you met through the recruiting? Brian Gregory, I know head coach at the time, and talk about that staff dynamic as well.
0: So when I decided to make that move, I knew a couple of people that were in grassroots, obviously here in Dallas, but around the country. So there's a guy named Matthew Vernon, who currently works for Overtime Elite. And he had a relationship with my cousin who played in the NBA for a few years. And I told him, and I said, hey, man, I'm looking to get a college coach and you know you got a few relationships. Can you put some fillers out? And, you know, with me being a former player, collegiate and professionally, my resume is a little different to be a GA. I think people look for those for those type of of, of GAs, people that can get their past, understand basketball, play against their guys, work them out, things like that. So he had a relationship with the staff at Georgia Tech, Chad Dollar, who was the associate head coach at Georgia Tech. So he let Chad know who I was. Chad mentioned my name to BG and BG remembered me because he recruited me when he was at Dayton. So from there, it became kind of an easy process. I talked to Chad. Chad got me all the details, talked to my wife about it, talked to BG about it, and um, it was pretty simple from that point. It was a, it was like a two-three-week process from when I spoke to BG to me being in Atlanta ready to rock and roll.
1: <clears throat> Talk about the academic side. I mean, you know, I've looked at being a GA kind of years removed from college. How difficult was it to crack open the textbooks again and, you know, also have to handle being a coach
0: and it was definitely an adjustment uh, and unfortunately I didn't do well enough at Colorado so my grades weren't good enough to get me to go to grad school at Georgia Tech so I was able to do it at Georgia State um, so I was able to do everything online which was great and like you said it's an adjustment but the good thing about grad school is a lot of times your assignments are due on one day at the end of the week And it allows for you to pace yourself and do certain things at the end of the night or at the end of the day when you do have time. So you get your schedule at the beginning. You're able to put together your schedule day by day. Okay, we got practice this time. I'll be home by this time. I can do schoolwork from this time. I go to sleep at this time and I wake up and do it all again next day. So being able to have that and make a regimented schedule was what saved me for the responsibilities I had as a GA and as a student. Um, But it lets you know, I think one thing it did for me was it let me know that there's always, that there's time, right? I think sometimes people, we get overwhelmed as people, because we have a lot of things going on, don't get me wrong. But if we can get, if you can get good at time management, allocating your resources, allocating your time energy to certain things, you can get a lot of stuff done in one day. And being a a GA and being a student allowed for me to see that, um, to be productive, because I had to be.
1: Coach Gregory's let go after the 2015-2016 season. Were you Mm -hmm. given the opportunity to stay on staff? uh, Or were you able to finish your – like you said, you're doing it online. Were you able to finish your degree? uh, Or else did you just have the opportunity to go to Denver? Like, what was your –
0: So, it it was funny how it worked out. You know, Coach Bill gave me a call after that year. And we said, "Hey, man, I'm working on something. Would you be interested to come work for me?" I said, "You know, yeah, I'm a GA. You know, I'm looking for the first full time gig I can get." And as we got as we got relieved of our duties at Georgia Tech after winning 22 games, yeah. think about that—we won 22 games, went third round in IT, and got fired. Let you know how crazy this business is, David. Uh, we weren't, we weren't expecting it at all. I mean, one day I'm sitting around, I'm in the—I just got done working with a couple guys out. I was in the coach's office, and my phone rang and the AD wanted to speak to me. And then our other GA's phone rang, he got the same message. So I called our associate head coach, Chad Dunn, I was like, hey, Doll, I just gotta call from the AD. He said, man, I think you might be getting fired. So that's how that went. i never forget how that sequence went down. It took him a while to hire a head coach, it took him maybe a month, maybe six weeks or so. <clears throat> Don't remember off the top of my head, but then they hired Josh Passman and um, one thing about being a GA, which is good in this regard, was when Coach Patterson got there, he kind of needed somebody to lean on that had a lay of the land. And I was that guy. So I, I, was, I, I drove around with him. I drove him around a lot of the local high schools when he first got the job to meet coaches. Uh, I helped make his schedule to go out for that spring. Um, I helped him kind of organize who people he should meet with on campus. And I was there for him when he, whatever he needed, man, I was there to make sure I could facilitate because I wanted to stay, right? I didn't have a job. I didn't have a whole lot of connections in the business and relationships. So the best thing for me was to stay at Georgia Tech, finish my schooling, and work hard for Coach Pastner and see how things could could, could unfold. So um, about a, a couple of weeks passed, Obviously, Coach Billups has now gotten a job at DU, um, but he's putting together his uh, coaching staff. He wasn't speaking to me about a coaching staff position, it was a support staff position. So I'm still working at Georgia Tech, but also talking to Coach Phillips. I let Coach Pastor know, hey, this, this opportunity, the opportunity can come to fruition, but I'm going to work my butt off here for you to show you that if it doesn't work, I want to stay here and be a GA. And he, was, and he was honest with me. He said, you know, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with those spots, but... You know, work, do the best you can do, and then we'll see how it goes from there. So, um, and then amongst all of this, David, I'm getting married. Mm. I'm getting, I'm getting married in that that June. So,
1: bold strategy, Cotton, trying
0: to get married during that GA spot, man. man. Bold strategy. Glad it paid it's off, man. <laughs> so I'm working. I'm trying to. I'm working on maybe getting a new job in Denver trying to keep my job in Georgia. And my wife is in Dallas planning a wedding. So I got a lot of things going on, man. But uh, but it all worked out. So Coach Pastor eventually tells me, hey, I, you can stay. I'm going to hire you as GA. Uh, and I accept it. Obviously, I don't have a job at DU yet. So I accept that job. And then maybe a week later, as my wedding is starting to come, the day I'm on the golf course the day before my wedding, and Coach Bills calls me and offers me the director of operations position at the U. So I tell him, "Hey, I got to talk to Coach Pastor, but I'm getting married tomorrow, so give me a couple days, <laughs> and uh, I'll get back with you." Obviously, I was going to take the job, but I had to let Coach Pastor know that I was going to take it before I told him yes. So uh, talk to Coach Pastner. He said, hey, man, you got to take it a full-time spot, Division one basketball, you got to take it. So he gave me his blessing, and um, I was a double at, at the University of Denver. So that summer, man, I got fired. I got hired. I got married. I moved across the country twice, and I coached Team Colorado to the TBT Championship game where we lost after being about 20. And um, so that summer was filled with some highs and some lows, but it all, it all worked out in the end of it.
1: I'm curious who, who was the guy they ended up hiring as a GA at Georgia Tech to kind of replace you because in a way
0: you might have started that guy's career <laughs> I think they I think Hayden I think his name is Hayden uh, they hired him no they hired a guy named Taj and Taj is now at Loyola with Tavars Harding I believe
1: okay good stuff talk about being the director of operations at uh at Denver you know DU, uh, you know, who took you under their wing those first couple seasons?
0: Man, being director of operations is like for a guy who played basketball and then as a GA I wasn't responsible for any kind of logistical strategies it was like drinking water out of a fire hose, my man. <laughs> it was. It came at me fast and it came at me with abundance, the responsibilities that I had. Um, but – With Coach Billups, and this is one of the great things that we had at DU was with him being a first year head coach, he allowed me space to grow because he was also growing, trying to figure out what he liked, what he disliked and how he wanted to do things. So we were able to kind of figure it out together and the mistakes that I made were mistakes that he didn't necessarily see, but because he was a double at Colorado, He had some insight and some strategies and some help to give me. So I leaned on him heavy because he had did my job. And he had some grace with me trying to figure out how to make things work. But what being a Dobo taught me was just 90% of the time there's ways to get things done, right? You just got to figure it out. You got to be willing to go the extra mile. You got to be willing to put the extra effort in. You have to be willing to talk to different people to get the task at hand accomplished. And the more things that I can take care of before they get to my head coach's plate, the better. And that's what that value becomes when you make his job easier. And that's how I operate every single day. We're just trying to make Rodney's job easier. And there were some mistakes I made. There were some bumps I made, some missteps. But by the time we got to year three, I had that thing humming like a world old machine and got better from year one to year two to year three to where it was on autopilot. And uh, working with Zach, working with Dan, those guys that you know, they definitely made a good coach. Nell, coach Patton, um, they definitely made it an, an enjoyable experience. And um, Coach P was one of those guys who I had a previous relationship with because he recruited me in Colorado. So it came completely full circle, man. A guy I played for now I'm working for. So it was it was a good thing. And then my wife's from Denver, from Littleton, Colorado specifically. So we were able to be back where she's from for those five years, and it was a great situation.
1: You know, you mentioned uh, Fickie and Ruben Sam. You know, give me your best scattering report. I'm sure you guys played some uh, pickup games as a staff. Uh, what, was, what was the
0: scattering report on Ruben Fickie? Oh, man, we had – so a couple of years, We you know, people play staff manager games. Mm-hmm. So a couple of years, we had a full squad. We had Coach Bills would play. I would play. Dan would play, Zach would play, and we had a GA named Henry Alves. and Henry was a D two All American, D three All American. I'm sorry. So we had a squad. Um, Zach is a shooter to the to the core. If he's open, it's going up, and he can make them. We got a little slingshot shot, but it goes in. Create his own uh, shot,
1: or uh, is no, no, no,
0: shoot? shooter. Okay. As Coach Bishops always say, he don't like twos, but he <laughs> wants all threes. So he he's a he's a shooter. Um, Dan is a big body, screener, ball mover, roller enforcer, but he knows his role, and he was always good at that. And, um, so, and then Henry Aldis, who was a D3 All-American, he was a slasher, long, athletic, ranger guy. So we used to be able to go against whoever we played and kind of tear them up. And we used to play against our guys. We put together our, our staff, we played against our guys, man, and we beat them up for the first couple games till we got tired. But then, <laughs> but then those young legs would prevail. So, you know, those five years at Denver that I had, three with Dan and Zach, were great. You know, it didn't end the way we wanted it to end, obviously, but the relationships that we had, the, the times that we had were, were good.
1: You're elevated to an assistant coach, uh, you know, 2019-2020 season. How excited were you to be on the floor coaching and recruiting off campus during those two seasons?
0: Man, I was so excited. But, and I'll, I'll kind of get more to this, too, is that, you know, my first – my first July I recruiting was this year. This is my third year as an assistant, right? My first spring I recruiting was this year. This is my third year as an assistant. So uh, going into my third season. So I was excited to be an assistant be on the floor, but I didn't really necessarily get the opportunity to recruit because I didn't get elevated until Dan took the job at Belmont Abbey, and I got elevated in September. So obviously spring and July is over then. It's right to September. So I took a few trips. Uh, to go visit some kids and kind of see some people and do what I had to do. But then the pandemic hits that March. So I go through the season. Uh, We have – we don't have a great season. Although we didn't win a lot of games, it was a great year. It was a a great year for me because I was able to learn. And the guys that we were around, they – we were creating a culture of wanting to get better and wanting to work. So I was really able to put time in with the people that wanted to get better. And that was great. That's what I love most about this job is um, the player development side of it and the personal investment I get to put in all these young men, these student-athletes every single day. So that's what really was really exciting to me. And at the end of the year, the pandemic hit. So then I can't go out that spring or that July, that whole summer again. Right? So in the second year comes, we're dealing with all the COVID protocols. We can't go recruit at all. So now I'm just on the phone making calls which gets a little bit mundane as you can imagine so but the second year comes you know we we have some heavy COVID restrictions and we're not able to have a successful year but I felt like the jump I made from year one to year two as an assistant was significant right Kind of like being that first year dobo drinking water with a fire hose was kind of similar to being a first year assistant was was drinking while I fire hose, but I was able to really hone in on my skills as being a coach, being um, great on the floor and being able to really game plan and scout because recruiting was minimal. So at year two, I was able to kind of go take that what I learned and really get better at it because there was no recruiting. So now I'm hoping in year three it can all come together, kind of like it did as a dobo to where year three is really humming. I'm able to really hit my stride and go from one level to the next level.
1: In a way, do you think that not being able to recruit, you know, we talk about kind of stigmas and, and, and the unofficial rules of coaching, like you're more than a recruiter. Like that whole stigma, oh, he's not, he must be the recruiter. Like
0: you're not able to recruit, so like you, you got to be well-rounded. Of course. I think that that's one. I never want to be labeled just recruiter. I want to be a basketball coach. I want to be able to develop players. I want to be able to game plan for opponents and I want to be able to recruit good players. I and I want to be seen in that light. I want to be, people ask me whether I'm good, better offensively or, good, or better defensively. I want to be a basketball coach. I want to be well-rounded and be able to implement schemes, strategies, both offensively and defensively that, be, that can be successful for whatever team I'm on. So those are the things I strive to do. And I think not being able to get out and recruit allowed for me to put more time into those areas, right? Because if you're, you're game planning for so long, you're playing, you're practicing, like what are you doing the the time where you may be traveling, going to see players or traveling, going to watch tournaments? That's where you're kind of honing your craft. So these last two years, I was really able to get better as a basketball coach, get better as a, as a teacher, get better as a mentor by taking the time and learning a lot so and then to your point about being able to just recruiter I don't have a ton of recruiting experience because I haven't been able to actually do it so this being my first full spring and summer uh, definitely looking to make an impact here at UTA on the recruiting trail so that I can prove that that can be another feather in my hat. and
1: we talked about you know coach Billups so the coach Billups era didn't go as long at Denver as uh, everyone had hoped for. How yep. difficult was it for the staff during the team's on court struggles, especially in that last year?
0: Man, it was it was difficult. You know, we were trying to figure out what it was going to take to yeah, one of the longest losing streaks that we anybody in our in our in our uh, our staff has ever had. We were just trying to figure out what it was going to take to get to get the, the ball rolling. As you can see, it's hard for me to even talk about it. Um but one thing it did teach me was that the chemistry, the camaraderie, and the culture on basketball teams is paramount. It's, it's so important. And by the time we were able to figure out how to get all three of those things aligned, it was too late for us. But um, I do believe that we, that we taught the kids the right things. I do believe we treated them the right way. And I do believe that the experience they had as college basketball players was the best that we could make it. Unfortunately, it didn't show up in the win column. And obviously, in this sport, you're paid to win games, and it didn't work out for us. But I thoroughly enjoyed my time with Coach Billups. He became a friend of mine, somebody who I I wish the best for. And um, I'm more I'm sad. Obviously, I'm disappointed that we didn't make it basketball wise. But I'm extremely disappointed that I wasn't able to help him achieve his goals. When I look at my time there, that's kind of how it summed up for me is that I'm disappointed I couldn't help him achieve what he set out to do. So I hope he gets another opportunity and, uh, you know, it's part of the business that we're in.
1: So he's not coaching right now, not on staff anywhere?
0: No, right now he's probably going to sit this year out. He had a couple of opportunities that he didn't get. But you know he had one year left on his contract. Just had a baby boy, so um, he he's enjoying that time. You know sometimes you got to take a, you got to take a step back, reset, and kind of self-examine what happened, and we all do, and, and kind of go from there. So with Coach Bills is smart. He's young. He has relationships in this game, and I know he'll bounce back.
1: Hope so. Uh, you know Greg Young adds you to his inaugural coaching staff at UTA uh, mm-hmm. in, in this past May. How excited were you to return to Texas, be closer to your family and friends? And how many ticket requests did you get off the bat?
0: <laughs> Man, I'm I'm elated. Like that's probably the best word I can I can say. I'm elated, and my family is too. With me having a young son born in the middle of the pandemic, May 2020, being 15 months, he's only been around his mother and I. And so for me to be able to bring him home and have him be around my parents as Things kind of open up a little bit as we get vaccinations and we learn how to deal with this virus better. Um, It it is just one of the things that is a pure joy for me. I'm an only child. So, my parents, like I always say, a joke, my parents got it right the first time, right? They didn't need anybody before me or after. So, for for my mom to be able to be around my grandson, my dad to be able to be around their grandson, it's been great to see. Um, I think that it's nothing but, but God you know, giving me a blessing to be here because you, you, you're you at Denver for five seasons, last two as an assistant, and we, we do not do well. That's why we are related to our duties. And for me to be able to land here back home with Coach Young's inaugural staff, as you mentioned, in a good basketball league and a great mid-major place, it doesn't go this way. So I'm very fortunate and blessed to have this opportunity, and I plan on I'm grabbing it by the horns and and doing everything I can to help Coach Young succeed. Ticket requests, I've gotten a few uh, from my closest friends and my closest family. And I'm sure once we start winning some games, there's going to be a lot more to come through.
1: You talk about, uh, you know, the tough league. I mean, man, I've always said the Sunbelt Conference is one of the more underrated mid-major leagues. Definitely not a low major. Um, Who are some of the other coaches in the league you've gotten to know over the years?
0: You know, I don't have, like you said, like I told you, I hadn't had the opportunity to really be out on the road. So I wasn't able to meet a lot of people like you like coaches normally meet when you're watching games, you develop a relationship, and that relationship blossoms because maybe you've seen a guy three or four or five, six, eight times in a two-day span. So, but a couple of people I know, uh, Coach T.J. Johnson at Texas State, you know, Texas State came to DU last year and played, got to know him a little bit. Um... Trying to think, who else do I know in this league? South Alabama. I knew Amaro Morgan, who was at South Alabama, but he since moved on to uh, Loyola Chicago. So I know the I know a man Mike over there, the DoBo at, at South Alabama. Good guy, and that's kind of all I can think off top of the hip, man. You caught me off guard as I go through the league. Yeah, so, it's, you know, it's but, always
1: interesting trying to be that guy who's scheduling games and, you know, trying to, oh yeah, you know, handle, uh, okay, you got the team coming in this day. And it's like, hey, man, now I actually get to, you know, see you on the floor.
0: <laughs> 100%. They, you know, you have relationships. You see them on Zoom meetings. People did a lot of Zoom meetings. And you see guys. So Now I get a chance to be in person. It's always great. So, But I'm definitely looking forward to developing relationships with coaches in this league. It's a great mid-major league. Good talent. As the games that I've watched, man, it's going to be a bear. Uh, I love our team, though. I'm really excited about, you know, what our team looks like on paper, what we look like on the floor, to see how we compete in this league.
1: How different is it for you personally, even your wife, to adjust to the lower altitude after spending nine years in Colorado? Uh,
0: you know, it, it's, it's, I think it's much easier coming back than it's going. Um, <laughs> I know it takes time to get acclimated, and, and when you're there, you actually you feel that there is a, a difference. So I can't say it's been noticeable. Uh, I still play basketball, I still work out. I'm able to kind of do it and be serviceable. I wouldn't call myself a high level player anymore. My Body's getting a little older, getting a little slower, the fast twitch. i becoming medium twitch. So, <laughs> but uh, I, I, like, I love it here, like I said earlier. So I haven't noticed too much of a, of a difference with the altitude.
1: What's your ultimate coaching aspirations? Do you, do you envision being a head coach down the road?
0: For sure. I definitely want to be a head coach. Want to be able to make my own decisions and run my program the way that I see and help young men uh, be better versions of themselves. The reason I coach, I coach for three three reasons, right? One, I want to help these players be the best version of themselves, like I said. I want to be the coach that I wish I, I would have had. And I love the game of basketball. Those are the three reasons that I coach, with the heavy emphasis on being the coach that I wish I had. Um, at every stop, right? There's always things missing that you miss. maybe your coach that did or or did more of. And I won't be able to be all those things, but if I can be the best version of myself to help them be the best version of themselves, I feel like I'm doing my best. Um, And I love the game, like I said. So those are the reasons I coach. So if I get an opportunity to be a head coach, those three things will, will lead my program and be what I kind of stand on. To help better the young man that, that I'm coaching.
1: You know, I haven't asked this question on the podcast, but what NCAA rule, if you had to pick one, would you change?
0: Charge block charge, one hundred percent. I eliminate. It. Only time the only time you can take a charge is on the ball.
1: I like that. So no help side guy sliding in. Last yeah, minute. if you
0: either either when you come either when you come over to help, either you jump or you get out the way. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I think the block charge call is, is it's one of the hardest calls to make in, in basketball. Um, there's a line on the floor that helps us make it that we can kind of – so if, if we could eliminate some of the subjectivity or the objectivity of it, um, I think it can make the game better. I understand that charges are a big part of the game, and I understand that they're never going to go anywhere, and I think people should always take them. But with the question that you're asking, what I will eliminate, I will eliminate the weak side charge.
1: <laughs> what coaches or teams do you watch and kind of – listen, everybody steals plays. I mean, that's that's how coaches stay in business. But uh, do you get plays from and kind of, you know, add to your toolbox?
0: Now, I get it from all over. Uh, mostly in a lot of international stuff, though. Yeah. Um, I think international game is, is more congruent to the college game than the NBA game is just because of different rules, you know, I, I won't get into that. But at the end of the day, the game is about putting the ball in the hole. So, um, but I think I watch a lot of the European stuff. I have some friends who, who clip up things and send them to me and I study that. I think in college, I like to study some of the high scoring teams or, or high efficiency offensive teams that we watch or that we play against in the, in the college basketball. Um, So I I can't say that I just study one coach, one program, one team religiously, but I do take time to look and see, okay, who's doing the best in this regard? Who's doing the best in this regard? Let me go check them out and kind of go from there. Obviously, with defensively, you look at some of the best teams in the country, Houston, Baylor, Texas Tech, and try to steal a little bit tidbits of that. But from what I understand and what I've seen, Coach Young is a defensive guy. And I know that two things are for sure. One, our team is going to play hard, and two, we're going to defend. And if you can do those two things, you're probably going to have a chance to be on the floor. So I'm, I'm excited to learn from him in, in, in the defensive space. Good stuff.
1: Coach, we are come to the segment I call start, bench, cut. Uh, Let's start do Start one, bench one, and cut one. Okay. Nike, Adidas, Under Armour.
0: Man, I knew you were going to hit me with that question. Uh, I got a represent for Under Armour now. I'm an Under Armour school, so I'm a I'm a starter. Um, I'm a bench Nike. I think Nike makes the absolute best apparel. Nobody comes anywhere close. But because I wear Under Armour now, I'm, I'm gonna have to make them take a back seat. And by process of elimination, this is gonna get cut.
1: Okay, being a Texas guy, Troy Aikman, Tony Romo, D- Dax Prescott,
0: Dax Prescott's getting cut. <laughs> Troy Aikman is gonna start, and then I'm gonna sit Tony Romo. Okay,
1: especially in the playoffs, right? <laughs> Outcast, Wu Tang clan, public enemy.
0: Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh Outcast obviously is my era. Like that's my era. So I'm gonna start them. Wu Tang, I'm gonna bench them, but I need to have a big bitch because they got all those members. And uh I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to cut public enemy. Although I do appreciate you know, their message and what they stood for cultural-wise in their time. And Flavor Flav, how can you just like Flavor Flav and Chuck D. Whataburger,
1: Raisin Cane's, Chick-fil-A?
0: Chick-fil-A, I'm going to start. I-, I love Chick-fil-A. Whataburger, I'm a bench. I am a native Texan, but Chick-fil-A is better. And Raisin Cane's, I'm a cut. You give me some hard questions here, Dave. Man, these are all great establishments. And I don't eat a whole lot of fast food, but I'll take either one of those three.
1: Last one, Coach. Uh, Hoop dirt, verbal commits, NCAA transfer portal.
0: (laughs) Hoop dirt, because even though the information might be a little bit dated, I always can follow the trail to get to what I got to get to. So I'm going to start hoop dirt. Uh, I am going to bench the transfer portal because it is a pure chaos in that thing. And then uh, verbal commits, I'll bench.
1: Who are three guests I should have on the
0: podcast? Ooh, three guests. Obviously, I'm going to speak about my relationships that I have. I think you should have Coach Ricardo Patton on here. He, he's an interesting man. You know, a lot of basketball coaches, they coach basketball, and that's kind of it, right? You don't have too many hobbies. That guy plays golf. He's great. He's a fifth-degree black belt. He trains dogs. He um, has he coached high school basketball, college basketball, he worked in TV, he's done a lot, loves horses. He's done a lot of different things, man. So if you could get him on there, um, he would be somebody, I think he'd give you a really good conversation. Um, so he's one, I would say, uh, my cousin. I got I got a cousin that works in the front office of the Sacramento Kings, played in the NBA for a while, really good college player, uh, A.C. Law. I think he has a pretty good story, played European basketball, I think people kind of forget about him and what he actually accomplished because his professional career wasn't as, as good as maybe some projected. But uh, he's done well for himself. He's done well in his basketball career. I'm, I'm very proud of him. And uh, Coach Young, man. I think Coach Young might be the most known unknown in, in, in Division One college basketball. Been coaching for 36 years, long when I've been alive. He's a head coach now for his first time, in Division One, 13th year here at UTA. And I really think that people are going to take note of who he is with the way that his team is going to compete this year, and how we're going to make sure that we bring it every single night.
1: Awesome! Now, I think I was listening to a previous podcast this week. Was AC supposed to go uh, Ivy League?
0: Did I hear that? No, I think you heard it incorrectly, man. Uh, I, don't, I don't. I'm not sure. That's my man, Fifty Grand. I'm not sure he had the <laughs> grades to go Ivy League.
1: <laughs> uh, man, I thought I heard like early on is looking to go in the Ivy League and then, uh, you know, the guys came in and, uh, you know, rest is history. But w- what advice would you give younger coaches, more particularly uh, players, players looking to transition from playing to coaching?
0: The best thing I would say, man, is, is- – there's a couple of things. One, you got to put your ego to the side. right? As a player, you get treated a certain way because you have an ability to put the ball in the hole or defend or, or, or do what your skill is. So you get treated a certain way, and that's what you're used to. You got to put your ego aside because you'll be like me as a GA, grabbing bags off the bottom of the bus and putting them onto the plane in negative 30-degree weather in South Bend, Indiana, at 2 o'clock in the morning. Right. When people used to do that for you, now you are doing that for other people. Right. So you got to be able to drop that ego and be able to say, no job, is too no job is too small for me to show that I'm going to do whatever it takes for this team to be successful. I think, too, you have to get with the right people. Right. The right people in this business can help you or hurt you, but more so they can help you. the relationships that you have the way that you nurture those relationships, the way that you work for people, the way you carry yourself at all times around people can help you because somebody is always watching. So the people that you're around try to get with good people. And then three, ask questions, right? Don't be so focused. This is a mistake that I made. I was so focused on just trying to do my job the best that I could, I didn't go ask our director of operations, Chris Jacobs, when I was at Georgia Tech, you know, how do you do this? He was there 17 years. All the knowledge he could have given me about how to be a Dobo, because in the progression, that may be the next step, or be a video coordinator, that may be the next step. So go ask your Dobo how he does certain things. Go ask your video coordinator how he does certain things. Go ask your assistant coach, your head coach, how they do certain things. You know, the worst they can say is, know if you ask for something and they can maybe tell you don't have time right now, but hey, let's do something tomorrow. Don't feel like you are a burden to somebody if you come prepared with questions that can help you get better. Because I think as humans innately, I think we want to help, but I I do think we don't want our time to be wasted. So when somebody comes to you with questions that are half baked or don't really have any reason that they're asking behind and you may get a little frustrated. But if somebody comes to you prepared with questions and it's you see the genuine desire to get better, I think that we want to help.
1: Good stuff, coach. You know, if listeners want to get in touch with you, email, social media, what have you, what's the best way?
0: Man, I I'm not gonna give my phone number right over the internet, but I've had the same number since I was in ninth grade. So if you know somebody that know me, they got it. Um, my email is on the website, and my Twitter is on the website as well. But my email is Dwight i at uta.edu, and my Twitter and Instagram handles are both DLT underscore twelve fifteen. So you can reach me on on all of that. And my name is my name, Dwight Thorn II. So if you Google me, if you search, you, you'll be able to find me. And like I said, my phone number's been the same. So if somebody got it, it's the same one.
1: Coach, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. You know, we got connected years ago when I reached yep. out about having a shoot around at, at DU. I'm coaching a centenary area D3. Uh, again, first coaching experience. And, I, I mean, I can't thank you enough for the hospitality. Uh, and then fast forwarding to even last year, you showed one of my former players around the arena when he was in Colorado, and he just goes, yep. man, that coach is elite. Like, just kept saying, elite, man. The facility, elite guys elite so I just, <laughs> that man, was like, his favorite word that day huh exactly so man just on a personal level like thank you so much for uh you know helping me over the years uh I've enjoyed following your progression uh you know as a coach in your career and I know great things are uh just ahead for you
0: man David I appreciate you having me man you know um I think that being genuinely true to people that you come in contact with, and people that want help, is how we progress as people. So uh, I appreciate you for having me on here. If I can help you, like I said, just give me, and I'll do what I can. I can't do a lot yet, but I'll do what I can. And uh, like I said, once again, thanks for having me, man. It was a pleasure. I think anytime you know people can kind of hear a different story or a different way, you can add that tool to your toolbox.
1: No doubt, man. All right, Coach, I appreciate you, man.
0: All right, David. Thanks, man. Peace. Yep.
1: Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave reviews, and rate five stars.